3: Hello, I'm Michael's son, and this is Save for Later from Guardian Australia. And I'm Alex Gorman. We are back in the office in the studio again. Um, and the reason I know this is because I was walked in on at lunch by a colleague who called me with like mayonnaise dribbling down my face. So like, we're, we're like well and truly back into office culture.
2: Michael's are all cleaned up now, fortunately. And we're here to talk about the hottest trends of this year and what we can expect for 2022. Will Mayo, Face be among them? Michael hopes so.
3: This episode, we have Ashley Chang, Culture and Trends Lead at YouTube, coming in to help us figure out what we should let go of this year, may face, and what we should expect 2022 in gaming, music, or our internet habits.
2: Plus, we have another special guest coming in, Cam Williams, who's going to talk to us about the nostalgic and awkward time in which we set up our teenage emails. We're all going to reveal our embarrassing teen emails, including some special cameos from Steph Harmon and Laura Murphy-Oates. And I'm going to reveal my not embarrassing at all and extremely cool one too.
3: We're also going to reveal to you what topped our list this week in terms of music, film, books, random culture in general. That's the podcast, baby.
2: Today we're talking vibes, specifically the vibes we got from this year and the vibes we're beginning to feel out for next year. And to do that, we have a king of vibes, Ashley Chang. He is the culture and trends lead at YouTube Asia Pacific and a man who once told me last week at a party that the only reason he has a job is because of the internet.
4: So, Ash, what's the vibe? Hello. <laughs> and what? <laughs> I don't know how to follow that intro. First of all, it is true that the only reason I have a job is because of the internet. Shout out to the internet. But yeah, vibes, I think vibes are looking up. I'm quietly optimistic about the vibes.
2: Looking back for a second, could you tell me about something that made you quietly optimistic from
4: 2021? One thing that I loved, and this is kind of more of a a general trend, is This mainstreaming of non-English language content and non-English language culture kind of getting their shine. Asian voices in particular is something that I really enjoyed seeing. I think back to 2020 when South Korea's Parasite was the first foreign language film to win an Oscar and that was a huge deal. And I think off the back of that we've seen more and more huge monolithic non-English language content really Hmm. take root. Squid Game. Who would have thought that Netflix's most viewed show would be Korean language? You know, that's- all it
2: takes to get people to read subtitles is horrific graphic violence.
3: <laughs> well, I think one thing that I am also really enjoying seeing, obviously, about the rise of and the popularity of non-white content is that we're actually getting non-white content that is allowed to be bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think for me, like mediocrity is the final frontier of representation. Um, Alex, I want to hear about something that you loved this year. What was the trend that took over your entire mind space in a good way?
2: For me, the the trend that I really adored was something that is kind of a carryover from 2020 that I thought would stop in 2021 and instead accelerated, which is the normalization of flaking. You're allowed to cancel anything at any moment for any reason. Now, sometimes maybe if it's high pressure, you can say that reason is COVID-like symptoms. But I think it's kind of, you know, when someone cancels on me, I always feel like I've been given a gift of time and I also love being able to just really say the honest truth that I'm just super not feeling it if I don't want to turn up for something.
3: Has the normalisation of flaking gone too far? I would like to de-normalise flaking again personally.
2: Now I want to know what have you hated of 2021?
3: I have hated the normalization of soup so, so, so much. (laughs) Have we all seen that TikTok where it's two girls and they're eating soup and they're like, gorgeous, gorgeous girls love soup.
5: Gorgeous, gorgeous girls love soup.
4: Soup girls are the most popular girls in the chicken coop.
3: Um, And they're just like sipping on their soup in a diner. Um, And I feel like that has really actually led to increased discourse around Soup,
0: but I a quite food liked.
3: That I personally hate.
2: I quite liked the TikTok good soup trend, where people would drink drink things that weren't soup, good soup, and then declare good soup from their own salty tears to an entire piece of onion.
3: Soup is not a food.
2: Ash, what about you? Any any trends that
4: you are not in love with from the year that was? Something I hated was the word chuggy because. The word "chuggy" is itself pretty damn chuggy, no? It's it's yeah, it's got an onomatopoeic quality to it. I hope we never have to hear that. Ever
3: Saying again. the word "chuggy" out loud kind of gives me the mouthfeel of ingesting soup.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the trend that I hated most uh, is the mid-orts revival, which is something that's kind of happening in fashion. Particularly, mm-hmm. we're seeing a return to sort of super low jeans and glitter on your face and it looked horrible the first time around. But the main reason why I despise it is actually because it makes me realise that I am now old enough to remember a trend that I hated, see it come back and just hate it again.
3: Look, low rise jeans, I get it, like hateable, but also I feel like I controversially love 2005 fashion. Like if you see me in a skirt over jeans, no, you didn't. But I'm also really curious, like, just about a general 2021 year in review. I'm thinking of an article that I read in The New Yorker from American luminary Kyle Chaker, who has listed off some vibes um, that were the top vibes of the year. I'm talking things like crumpled mask in a puddle on the sidewalk vibes, or famously, from also from this year, although it seems like a long time ago, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez kissing in masks vibes. Um, oh,
2: I love that vibe so much because it was that kind of painful nostalgia, mm. also, like, quarantine core, but additionally, like, breaking health advice simultaneously.
3: It was such a confluence of factors. But, Ash, you canonically work at YouTube. <laughs> I don't know why I said that word.
2: <laughs> it's because you wanted to say famously, famously and, I and then said canonically I'm not instead. To say the
3: word famously anymore.
2: Um, famously, Michael is banned from saying the word famously. You, you know what? So canonically, he has adopted the word canonically. I'm totally fine with
3: that. Ash, you canonically work at YouTube. What sort of trends and like data insights have you been noticing um, this year with with, with regards to, to
4: viewing? So I think what's interesting about aesthetics in general is when it comes to YouTube specifically is that we've really seen a rise in the use of connected TVs um, when it comes to YouTube. And we actually did, my team actually did a report on aesthetics and I'm just going to read a few that we looked at. Uh, bardcore. 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 Do as you guys in know Shakespeare,
3: ba- the bard?
4: Of, not the bard, bard, <laughs> bard as in musician, like okay. old-timey musician. <laughs> It's old England and uh, it's it's covers of popular songs with lute instrumentation and, <laughs> you know, old English lyrics up to it.
1: I want thy love and all thy lovers revenge The NB
4: could write a bad romance.
3: I absolutely hate it. What's yeah. next?
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Cottage Core?
3: Yes. Oh, oh Cottage is, Core,
4: we're all across. Which is this very homely, you know, wood-burning wood, wood burning stove in a cabin in the Blue Mountains uh, vibe. You have Dark Academia, of course. Mm-hmm. Hogwarts Elevated, I, I think, <laughs> is the best way to think about that. And also a mood that Carl
2: Chaka name-checked in his New Yorker essay too.
3: By referencing um, Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You?, which features a main character who is a writer who lives in a very large, potentially gothic manner in
4: ireland and and y2k i think is the other major kind of aesthetic or vibe that was quite prominent i find that very funny
3: because i it almost feels like anecdotally y2k is on its way out like it's had its peak and now we're transitioning more into what alex was saying about the mid-aughts um but you're saying that it still remains king on youtube
4: i guess well it was all of these were big in the last two years i would say Mm -hmm. and the point that i wanted to make about connected TVs is that a lot of uh creators have made content that ape these aesthetics and there'll be live streams of, you know, dark academia, um, <laughs> you know, cottage. Core channels and
2: can you describe what one of these live streams looks like? Is the creator kind of present and there? Is it just music?
4: Do you know what the Lo-Fi hip hop girl is? Oh yeah. Lo-fi girl? I know her too well. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> let's it, pretend that I know and explain it to our audience. Okay, so I have no idea.
4: So Lo-Fi Girl is a continuous uh, radio stream on YouTube, basically. And it's characterized by this. Uh, genre of music called lo-fi hip-hop which is kind of uh, interesting because it's it's hard to there there aren't any stars in this genre so it's very like nameless but it's instantly recognisable and it's meant to be good uh, for productivity for people to work to but there's a visual that is projected in conjunction with this music and it's a anime style girl studying basically and she's studying in perpetuity and it's interesting because people will congregate in in this live stream to study so if you look at the live chat of lo-fi girl there's people from Brazil being like hey I need a prompt for the you know I need to finish my essay and people are actually helping each other do schoolwork essentially um, through this live chat on this video. So it's this lightning rod for bleary-eyed students or white-collar workers.
3: Or watch me at the altar of productivity queen lo-fi girl. <laughs> she is the moment. Yeah.
4: And I think what's happened in the last two years is that people have cast lo-fi girl to the bigger screens in their house as as well as this other aesthetic content. And what's interesting to me is, That means that these vibes, they're actually spilling out of the screen on your television and permeating spaces.
2: People are literally casting a vibe into their home. Exactly,
4: exactly.
3: Um, I'm really keen to talk about, you know, what is next in trends because as we know... I am obsessed with keeping up with the times. <laughs> and Alex, I know that you have been doing a lot of reading, um, particularly about a Pinterest report specifically, um, which is going to tell me exactly how to dress and act in 2022.
2: Indeed. I, um, for the last few years, every year Pinterest has tracked people's search data and mapped growing trends that they suspect are going to escalate further the following year. Pinterest, for those who are not aware, is a sort of image and more recently also sort of video mood board creation and people use it a lot for food and lifestyle and most kind of stereotypically to plan their weddings.
3: And their predictions have been very accurate in the past. Yes,
2: they have. So eight out of every ten of their predictions has done exactly that in previous years. I think the most wretched incarnation (laughs) of this is in the 2021 Pinterest Predicts report, which came out in 2020. They said that one of the big food trends of the year would be epic charcuterie, which is already quite lame.
3: Explain to me in graphic detail what epic charcuterie is. I'm talking like
2: florets of prosciutto and overspilling abundances of grapes, which given that we were more confined to our homes than we thought we would be at the beginning of this year, certainly makes sense that it kind of tracked on. But then just late last month, Martha Stewart Living uh, declared that the charcuterie chalet was the most festive treat of the year. So, a charcuterie chalet is like a gingerbread house made of meat. The roof is a tiled roof made of overlapping salamis. There's a crest of cream cheese on top to represent snow. There's checks biscuits for windows and then... It's a snow-covered chalet, so, of course, surrounding the house is even more cream cheese.
3: I have to admit that I'm looking at this image right now, and in my hungry, half-delirious phase, it does look vaguely scrumptious. Michael, no. (laughs) I'm coming out as a pig for prosciutto. (laughs) I want this charcuterie chalet. Alex, as someone who's now read the Pinterest 2022 predictions, um, what do you think are, like, the most ridiculous trends that, that are about to come outweigh? Like, like, And when I say ridiculous, I mean, like, I want, like, a charcuterie chalet level of, of, of ridiculousness. So please hit us.
2: So I'd say, like, the most hardcore ridiculous one is reshaping architecture around your pets which is something that i can immediately see happening given all of the pandemic puppy booms but there's there's one trend towards uh catified homes or designing entire like sunrooms just for your cavoodle and then the other once again like drawn into the home trend that i like a little bit more is the idea of an emotional escape room which is not like a real escape room Although Is it a rage room? It's not really a rage room. It's more like a sort of caving in on yourself. So if you're sort of hard into sort of witchcore, you might create an entire crystal cave in your house. And that sort of ties into another kind of sub-element of that trend, which they've called lounge eerie, which is kind of spooky pyjamas, which I am very here for and
3: very much already wearing. Two things that I also would like to bring to the table for everyone's thoughts. Um, I have also been reading a 2022 forecast from Soon Futures, um, which is another kind of organization which does a lot of trend predicting and forecasting. And they predict something called the leisure boom. <laughs> <laughs> I which is a phrase I truly do not want to say out loud ever again. They're basically predicting the combination of business travel and leisure travel, hence the portmanteau, pleasure.
2: I feel like, like allowing work to permeate your holidays deserves a word as bad as pleasure.
3: <laughs> if they wanted a word that was truly bad, I want to know why they didn't go with
4: pissness. <laughs> it could be it could be a holopay.
2: A holopay, wow. Obviously, Pinterest uses search trends to kind of make predictions into the future. I imagine that YouTube has this same capacity. Are there any kind of nascent things that you
4: think are about to explode based on what people are already looking for? What's interesting is a, a format which is live streaming and how comfortable we are with live streaming. And in a way, it's we've all been doing that for the last two years, you know, if you think of the the Zoom meetings that we've all been in, mm-hmm. you're going to see things like e-commerce go hand-in-hand hand with video live streaming. Is that not just Danos Direct? That is Danos Direct. It's <laughs> 100% is Danos Direct, but it's with tools and with uh, talent and with community that doesn't exist in that space. And then just the idea that events themselves can be live streamed. And we saw that. Again, in the last two years, whether that was concerts or whether that was fashion shows or whether that was, uh, you know, um, sporting events, this idea that you know it's, it's very hard to have a surrogate experience for being at the thing live, but mm. this is pretty damn good. And on top of that, it democratizes that experience, right? Where say it's a it's a fashion show, that fashion show is typically only viewable by 200 people in a room in, in Paris somewhere. but
2: And the, the, the fashion reference is interesting because that was sort of already happening with Instagram. You'd watch the front row as people uploaded Instagrams of it, like pretty much in real time, and that's been happening for the last six years. But the difference is the quality. Like watching a runway show on Instagram stories, like it looks
4: terrible. Yeah, and then I think fashion houses really had to think about the way they presented them. You know, you've seen brands like, I think, Balenciaga did really experimental things, reimagining what a fashion show could be. So again, that collision of video games, they um, presented a a runway show. I'm using air quotes here for... um, That was basically video game renders. Mm, Um,
3: Which, like, thank God for it because I feel like we all have live stream fatigue, right? It's like I don't think I can watch another live stream again for at least six months. I'm glad that people are actually doing interesting things with it beyond just a video.
4: Live streaming as a format, this kind of Truman showification of all of our lives is going to be something that's interesting. It'll be more pervasive and it'll have – more functionality and more um, intersection with our daily lives in a way that feels more That really frightens me. Always on.
3: Alex, I'm very curious to hear what you think is in store for the 22-ification of trends.
2: So I have one very specific trend prediction that may or may not come true. It is a fashion prediction. It is the green screen skivvy. I'm predicting that in 2022 someone will release a turtleneck top that is the exact colour of a green screen that has a small QR code on its breast that you can scan to pull up an AR version of the outfit they would actually
3: like to be wearing. The green wiggle wants their money back.
2: Green wiggle energy. And then I think no one will actually use it for that purpose. And then in about 10 years' time, it's going to
4: become a cult aesthetic. Is is this an original thought, Alex? I think it is. You should keep this. This is a million-dollar idea you're sitting on.
3: (laughs) It's a million-dollar idea in that I'm going to sue you for a million dollars. (laughs) If it ends up happening. (laughs) Mine is actually stolen um, from a Twitter user um, whose name is Kyle. Don't know what his last name is, but Kyle has released a very satirical list of 2022 trend predictions, one of which I'm very keen to see happen, not for any other reason than... Curiosity, of course. Um, it's the mainstreaming of ketamine, which has obviously already happened. But also, influencer posts sponsored by ketamine clinics, um, alongside the mainstreaming of ket. Ash, do, Ash do, what's yours? Do you have a shoot from the hip prediction?
4: Maybe a a corporate metaverse where we are all awful. awful. We are awful. all white collar workers in the game <laughs> of life. So just, just not- life then. Did
2: that already happen, uh, not not in a metaverse sense, but a few years ago where they had that live role-playing game where people pretended to be at an office and it was being run by teens and then adults took it over and started doing it badly and they were really upset?
4: I think there was a reply all episode about a Facebook page that was a pseudo-corporation. Yes, it was exactly that. So that but more involved.
3: Ashang, thank you so much for being on this very silly podcast and talking to us about all the silly little trends um, that are coming next year.
2: Some of which aren't silly or no are actually quite nightmarish.
3: <laughs> talking about silly though, our next segment um, is actually going to be all about the extremely dumb childhood emails that we used do you have a childhood email that you would like to confess to us?
4: How dare you two try to expose me like this? <laughs> I am your guest. No, I, I did, of course. Uh it was a hotmail, and it was the fool on the hill37 at hotmail.com. That's very lyrical. The fool on the hills. Which is a lesser known Beatles cut. So I oh. was very smug and self-satisfied that
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: that's,
4: I knew who the Beatles were when I was, like, 13.
2: That's a very hip one.
4: Yeah, it, it, I it
2: could have been worse. I don't think you need to be embarrassed about that. I'm I think that's, you, that's just you showing off that you were a cool teen.
3: We are gonna take a quick break and when we come back, that email segment I promised. It's a segment full of ladybugs, cool dudes, kinky girls, skater boys,
2: and too much 69.
3: Cam Williams joins us to talk all of the emails that we named very awkwardly and hornily, some would even say. Yeah,
2: thirsty, thirsty teenage email addresses. Now it's time to go back, way, way back to when you first set up an email address for yourself. We've got writer and broadcaster Cam Williams in, who has very recently created a somewhat viral TikTok about this very subject, discussing the burden of an embarrassing teenage email. Cam, tell us what made you think about this in the first place?
5: So it was this trend going around on TikTok where people were using audio from the film
4: Interstellar
5: (laughs) to communicate a message to their past self. And so I thought, oh, what's something that I wish someone had told me from the future? And I immediately thought, email address because I was like I wish somebody had told me to take the internet a little bit more seriously because then I would have avoided the embarrassment of the teenage email address I originally had and so made the video and then came back and I noticed a big uptick in views but mainly the comments section had just kind of like blown up with people saying I feel incredibly seen but also the confession started which was people saying I had this email address and it was everything from you know skater boys to butterfly kisses to really interesting uses of language combined with email addresses that you would never (laughs) think to do now. People also
3: used too many numbers. Like I feel like almost every childhood email address I'm seeing has like a 69 here, a 420 there.
5: The 69
2: Um, is ultra weird to me. I mean, I guess 13-year-old boys, it makes sense that they'd be putting 69 in their email address, but the prevalence of the 69...
5: It was out of control. Just the confidence of people to go, this is who I am. Um, I'm going to use 69 in my email address. Mm-hmm. And also, to birth dates, people were really out there in terms of saying, like, this is my birth year, which now is like, no way, you're not going to do that at <laughs> all.
2: <laughs> so, What was the cringy email that you found yourself stuck with for too long?
5: Okay, so when my dad first signed up to the internet with like an Australian internet provider, you obviously had to have an email address. And so he's like, we need to pick one. And me being a very cocky teenager at the time, wanting to (laughs) impress my friends was like, I want my email address to be nugget man because my nickname in high school was nugget and I just thought my whole future was like laid out in front of me and picking this email address I just imagined like emailing all my friends and being so cool as the guy that got the email address with his nickname and so my dad eventually like (laughs) signed up for it with that email address which we kind of used as a family for the first few years that we had the internet and then obviously when I was old enough I kind of spun off into my own embarrassing series of, like, further email addresses, which I think were just, like, Nugget Man and then, like, again, a number.
3: It was Nugget Man 69. Hundreds Uh, of iterations (laughs) of Nuggets. I'm also really imagining that this email was one of those, like, first email providers as well. I'm talking, like, Nugget Man at
5: AussieMail.com.au or something. Uh, Yeah, pretty much you've nailed it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can literally hear the dial-up modem playing in the back of my head now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Cam, your TikTok um, made me think about my own childhood email addresses of which I had many, many, because my name is Michael Son, and apparently that is a very common internationally known name. So for a really long time, my email was... B-L-Triple-A-Z-I. Blazy. Um, Blazy. It was was short for Blaziken.
2: (laughs) Honestly, Blazy sounds like a startup that's going to IPO at, like, unicorn valuation.
3: (laughs) Um, But it was short for Blaziken, the very fiery chicken Pokemon um, of the mid-2000s. And, camp in your article for The Guardian, when you write about this, you talk about how people have to use their embarrassing old emails. In official documents, I recently had to get out of a very long-running yoga membership, but unfortunately, I didn't realize that I had signed up with this blazy email in (laughs) order to get a second free trial on top of my already free trial with my, like, actual email the first time round. Wait, so
2: so Blazy is, at this point, draining your bank account.
3: Exactly. But unfortunately, yes, I, I had to email this very, very bougie, spiritually aligned yoga studio from blazy.
2: <laughs> but Cam, Michael's humiliation is somewhat minor compared to some of the stories that you ended up fielding from people who held on to their teenage emails. Can you talk to me
5: a bit about that? Yeah. So there was a guy who thought it would be a really good idea to sign up with his first name, Hugh, but then he went with Jass. So he had Hugh Jass, which is like, just <laughs> that's just a carryover from like when he used to phone prank people. But still, he was stuck with it for a really long time. It's so hilarious, the teenage mind, and applied to the internet <gasps> probably my favorite story in the whole piece is um pippa who said that she uses an email address pippi xo and she used it to buy a house and she said that when she was kind of doing all the official documents with the lawyer to kind of like do everything official, she had to like say it out loud and the lawyer like cocked their eyebrow. Um, but she said she held onto it for sentimental reasons. She said she's had it for a really long time. She has documents and correspondence with friends who have passed away within that email address. And so that's the reason why she's held on to it for so long. And that's something that came up as a big theme in a lot of the comments and the correspondence around The TikTok video, people are just saying like, I can't walk away because I'm I'm fully invested in this. My whole life is built around this email address. I'm
2: locked out of my teenage email address and with it goes like my entire adolescence online, but I also do not have any regrets about that.
3: (laughs) Alex, don't bury the lead. What was your teenage email address?
2: Well, because I am extremely cool, my email address was grey underscore Cs, which is a Bauhaus lyric. Can you tell I was a teenage goth?
3: (laughs) Oh, my God. So, Cam, we've
2: got a little treat for you since you decided to be vulnerable and reveal your own embarrassing email, as did the people that responded to your TikTok. We've hit up some of our beloved colleagues, Laura Murphy-Oates and Steph Harmon, and asked them to share their teenage email stories too.
1: Hello, uh, my first email address. I had it until I was 18 years old, and it was ferrets underscore united which colleagues have since suggested sounds like a very bad soccer team. I think it had something to do with Monty Python. I found them really funny as a kid. They had a whole song about sticking a ferret up their nose. The fact that I held on to it until I was 18, I'm not proud of. Okay, so I was trying to link my Medicare account to myGov to get my vaccination certificate, and they were asking me about my details, and I gave them, like, five different addresses didn't match any address that was on the system the guy was getting more and more bemused and so I gave I was like oh god it's gonna be a really embarrassing email from my childhood so I gave him my email which was at outlook.com or something which is like a line from a fantasy novel that I had read as a kid and he was like no that's not the email that I have in front of me and I was like oh is it surfy babe 67 or something like I just was it something like that and he's like no and it was tickle underscore me underscore lmo my initials but LMO three which is my favorite number <laughs> so turns out I hadn't changed my medicare details that I had listed with the government since I was a child so that's my embarrassing email story
3: Personally, I feel like we should reclaim our old email addresses. Like, like if, if it was up to me, I would say that using an embarrassing childhood email is actually praxis. It's anti-capitalist.
2: It is anti-capitalist. It's a rejection of corporate
3: norms. But I feel like it is kind of back. Like, anecdotally at least... Every time I scroll through Instagram, I see that another one of my friends has changed that username to like sexy angel420. Um, so if you see me with the username Handsome Hunk69, you will know what has happened.
5: Yeah, it's really interesting because I I have noticed there is this trend where kind of like, you know, Gen Zs are now kind of revering. 90s internet culture in the same way that I guess when I was a kid, we treated the 80s. It's a
3: nostalgia we have for the old internet. I like, believe it's a nostalgia. some may call it the good
2: internet. Yes. Miss Web
3: 1.0, bring it back.
2: So Cam, I I understand that um you thought that you'd escaped your teenage email, but it turns out you actually hadn't.
5: Yeah. So recently I had to reach out to my dad and get him to email something to me. And I said, what's your email address, dad? And he goes you know, the email address. And I was like, no, I don't. Like, what is it? First name, last name, number, tell me. And he was like, Nugget Man. And so <laughs> his whole time, he has been using that email address. And my dad's a medical professional.
3: Thank you so much, doctor and N-Man.
5: <laughs> I'm, I'm just happy to say Nugget Man live.
2: What a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much for coming in today, Cam.
3: We'll see you later. Cheers. It is top of the list time. Alex, what are you obsessed with this week?
2: I'm obsessed with a book of poetry because I just saw it read live. It is How to Make a Basket by Jazz Money and she released it earlier this year but due to the pandemic could only have a book launch last week. She read five poems from the book and they were exquisitely beautiful. They were accompanied by live guitar. Maybe it was just the kind of overwhelm of live culture but I actually found myself crying in the reading of one of her poems which was called The Billa Cycle that's all about the movement of rivers. It's just playful, heartbreaking, and at times quite funny work. It's really romantic. She is very talented, and you should all buy her book for someone you love for Christmas. And, Michael, what's top of your list?
3: Top of my list this week is an album by Banoffee. It's called Tear Tracks. It came out earlier this year, actually, um, but I have to admit that I did not actually listen to it before I had to interview her last week um, for an incredible story that you'll be reading in the guardian this summer um but like any good culture writer i did listen to her entire album beforehand and now i cannot stop playing it it's hyper pop perfection it's a breakup album it's crying in the club it's shedding tears on the dance floor it's everything i wanted to be and more it's called tear tracks and it's out now Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, you should absolutely subscribe to Saved for Later wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And if you really liked us, you should leave us a rating and a review, but only if you really liked us because our egos are fragile.
3: This episode was produced by Krishma Luthuria and Joe Coney, who also handcrafted music.
2: We'll be here again next week because our feeds just never, ever, ever stop scrolling.
3: And this episode was exec produced by Gabrielle Jackson, Melanie Tate and Steph Harmon.